Hello everyone, welcome to the episode 59 of Solid Saturday. The guest we have today, Greg Kokio, he is an industrial engineer with a master's in engineer, engineering management and 10 years of experience in continuous improvement and lean strategy. His passion for data helped him make a career pivot into with areas of interest, including artificial intelligence and machine learning. So let's just welcome him and hear more about his career journey. How did he find his area of interest and managing to lead that? So welcome, Greg. Very happy to have you on the show and really appreciate all your time and consideration being on the show. Thank you so much, Rashali. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me and it's a pleasure to uh, speak to the audience today. I feel honored to be here and uh, talk about my career path and uh, my plan for the future. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much and pleasure is all mine and I'm also quite excited to hear from you. So our first section is about passion and interest. So how did you find your interest in this data field and what steps did you take to pursue your passion? Uh, so it's, it's all about uh, pursuing the, uh, I guess, the will to contribute to society. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I let that drive me in figuring out what it would take to be able to contribute to society. And for me, being an industrial engineer, um, I've always been close to you know, the technology from a manufacturing perspective mm -hmm. and uh, scaling that technology to impact uh, the many mm -hmm. uh, and which led me to data and then which led me to a company like Amazon that leverages a lot of data to impact a lot of people. So mm -hmm. uh, it's all about, you know, chasing that, that, that passion, that will to, to be part of a big movement. And, and this movement is continuously us humans continuously looking for uh, a way to improve our lives um you know as we go through this experience called called life yeah so i the way i understood is that you like to pursue a passion or lead your passion with the purpose as well so thank you so much for sharing and moving towards our next section is about the questions from audience where i shortlisted a couple of questions for you so the first question under that section is, which technology or techniques do you recommend being combined with a technique in big data analytics? So re re repeat that question again. I want to make sure I, I grasp it. Moreover, like, you know, uh, which technologies do you recommend being combined with the big data analytics? So along with big data analytics, what other techniques or the technologies do you think go along? So I think for big data analytics, you definitely need to uh, the uh, uh, I guess the output interface, right? Something like uh, a Power BI or some uh, uh, Tableau. You you do need that, right? So if you have the back end that does the analytics of it all, so how do you show that to to the audience, right? So you you have to have uh, uh, a a product that aggregates all of these analytics into one dashboard uh, that consumers can go through and easily understand. Um, and another thing too is when you have big data analytics, you have to have uh, an end-to-end -end process in uh, good documentation for, for these analysis. Um, and so you can understand 
why you would end up changing one or two because you will end up changing one or two of these metrics uh, and analysis uh, methods because business needs will change over time. So you want to make sure you have that process. And I can say, just like any other project, uh, putting a process around business analytics always starts with the business objective. What are you trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and why you're trying to accomplish it? Um, so, and also I want to remove the buzzword uh, behind big data analytics. You can do that for small data as well. You have to have a solid process where you start with the business objective, then you figure out where to source that data and uh, figure out what are the metrics that are important to you and the customers or the people who are affected directly by uh, these metrics, where they sit and and how do they get affected by these metrics to understand uh, um, how to perform some technical analysis on those, whether you want to pull statistics or other methods to track those, those metrics. So, Yep, yep. And this is very insightful, I guess, if the person asks the questions what and why, uh, they definitely find the better insights from the data and can derive the better results. So thank Correct. you. And moving towards our next question is, any end-to-end machine learning project using predictive maintenance on production line to locate faulty parts and forecast the faults? If I have to just rephrase it, I think uh, the person wants to ask is that, you know, uh, kind of a like whatever predictive modeling we do we have the maintenance of that so do we have any kind of a model over the model to maintain that predictive analytics kind of a project to find the faults and the defects so for for predictive models for machinery i think uh i've I've never worked on any end-to-end machine learning projects really i'm more of the person who uh, has a use case that i bring to the experts uh, who build those models and for predictive mach- uh, uh, you know, maintenance, mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, time series um, algorithms that you can uh, implement to, to, to check or to predict when a machinery will go down, if I understand well. Um, and it comes down to being able to select the right um, I guess, features to help you detect when the machine is going down. I remember when I was in manufacturing, I leveraged the quality of the product itself, the frequency of the defects coming down the line as a um, signal to determine whether one of the key components of the machinery is about to break down. So it really depends on um, um, what you're trying to accomplish and you can pull you know, uh, you know, Arima, you can pull, uh, you know, exponential smoothing algorithms, uh, a lot of those, or you can go fancy, right? Depending on how many variables you're trying to uh, uh, control or monitor or use as signals, you can use a more fancy one like a recurrent neural network to uh, predict that. In manufacturing, you have what you call mean time between failure. And the, the smaller it gets over time, the more you can predict that there's a problem with the machine. So there's a lot of signals that you could use, like around if your machinery has motors, uh, you could track some motor signals, whether it's um, you know, RPM or acceleration. Uh, you can look at the acceleration curve of a motor to see whether that motor is going to give in at some point. Uh, you can look into, uh, for example, the bearings 
that you have in your uh, uh, machinery to take a look at their life expect expectancy. Uh, if life expectancy of bearings go down, that means there's an intricate issue with the global overall system of that machine. So it's you, you can do whatever you want with it to monitor to monitor these these failures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, the way I'm understanding that you have a background in the industrial engineering. So do you think that uh, education, that prior education that you took is helping you in the data field as well? Oh, absolutely. Because um, all of the things, when you think about process improvements, um, you know, you cannot perform any improvement without having data. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and this is what I realized is that wow, um, I can make a jump from manufacturing to technology because my career has been centered around gathering data, transforming that data, extract some insights, and come up with a plan to improve an overall system or process. So when I realized that that's what I've been doing, then I said, okay, any company out there need help in the sense of uh, continuous improvement. So uh, even a company like Amazon or Facebook, Google, they all have some uh, sort of uh, iterative process that helps them improve a system, a product, uh, a process at some point. So it's, it's, it's overall the same technique. Yep, yep. Thank you so much. And I'm really enjoying talking to you. So moving towards our next question is about how does the pricing management work? I think it is purely based on your profile. So for pricing management, um, I mean, I guess each company have their own this uh, uh, definition on this one. Uh, but it's it's a lot of you know uh, analyzing the movement of prices on the market on the external market and see uh, you know comparing your position with your competitors, uh, comparing the price position with regards to the cost of production um, and also comparing uh, price segmentation with regards to your customers to see what the optimal price should be uh, that you should offer the most, uh, 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 the biggest customer segment. Um, and the overall is to price yourself at a point where you are optimizing your profits, but also you're minimizing customer churns. Mm -hmm. Right. So you want to make sure you do that and also making sure that the price movement that you do, whether you go up on price, down on price, that you're not really affecting the back end, which is the cost of materials and things like that. Um, some products might be based on uh, commodities. And when the price of commodity moves, say, in the wrong direction, meaning commodity gets more expensive, you are incurring a cost. And sometimes you have to understand your customers to know who from these list of customers can you transfer some of that cost to by bumping up prices um, and who will not be able to support it. And you'll be able to do those analysis uh, with regards to what's out there in the market. If the customer feels like they can go to a competitor when you increase the price, so you might want to back down from that and, and just uh, occur, uh, uh, you know, less profit from increased costs and, and you're staying uh, steady with the price. Wow, that's very, very useful. And I think that answers the audience question as well. And moving towards our next section is the fun segment where I'm going to give you three keywords and 
you have to tell me whatever comes to your mind it is kind of an abstract concept so you can just tell me like a word or you can just define it in a smaller like you know a piece so are you ready yeah so the first word for is uh, which is associated with your profile or the experience is predictions predictions uh what comes to mind with prediction is feeling comfortable about the future wow and then engineering engineering uh what comes to mind in engineering is discovery uh creativity wow and the society society i think about augmentation wow. of life yeah yeah that's really fascinating thank you so much for sharing and uh, this is kind of a like fun segment that i introduced from couple of episodes just to have little more engagement with the audience and moving towards our next section is about exploring your career work and volunteering so there are so many things associated with the profile but i just came up with like you know couple of questions under that segment so would you like to provide more insights to your journey towards data science because you already mentioned how did you find your passion but when we think about you know um prior education plus what kind of work you did in earlier your your earlier career and then you transformed into something which is the latest technology and trends so this is kind of a transformation so i would definitely think that would be useful to the audience how you managed to transform and continue your journey in the data science field sure uh, and to tell you the truth it wasn't something i was looking for it's more of a uh, drive to solve issues uh that was my driver since i was in manufacturing i wanted to uh tackle some issues improve processes and leverage data to do so uh and then it uh you know evolved to uh you know filling uh closing some gaps at a previous company that i was and before joining amazon uh and where i had leverage to manipulate data as i saw fit uh and i saw a lot of opportunities to improve processes and um i you know again this is where the will has to be there and i started to learn uh teach myself how to use something like power bi and uh there are classes out there i took some classes uh started uh, understanding the type of analysis that could be done through power bi and uh also started to understand how to establish some back end pipelines so i had to work with experts in that side you know those uh the the data engineers that would set up some key pipelines with high uh, uh reliability high availability uh low latency pipelines that i can connect to uh to perform those fast analysis and present in dashboards that will be used to by you know customers uh, or my internal customers to uh help them do their job better when i took a look at that i was not thinking oh i'm entering the world of data science i never thought about that until i started work, uh, reading some stuff and i saw oh, data visualization is a subset of data science and i'm like well wait a second here all right so you know i know a thing or two around this and then you know reading more you have you know the back end of that of those algorithms supported by mathematics you know a probability statistics and things like that and i'm like okay i hated these subjects in college but now i can go back to them refresh my memory and understand how i can be uh, uh how they apply with regards to uh algorithms model creation and things like that 
And uh, that makes me feel comfortable learning why we would select certain models versus another one. And how can we tune these algorithms to make sure that they're performing at the optimal level? So in this case, I'm not looking to become a, an expert data scientist. What I want to do is remain on the business side and be able to have um, very fruitful conversation with technical teams uh, like data scientists and engineers and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's very well said, but just to mention it here, even though you are saying that you are you don't want to be the expert in the data science, uh, Greg is one of the LinkedIn top voices this year in the data science and AI. So congratulations on that. And as you Thank you. And as you mentioned that uh, if there is a will, definitely you'll find the way to get into that field. So this is kind of, you know, a uh, takeaway I can take from your answer. Moving towards our next question is like talking more about your volunteering experience. So you are involved into two volunteering tasks actually. One is a data visualization society and second one is hackmakers. So would you like to share more insights about it, what you do under that and if some audience would like to join that volunteering initiatives? Yeah, so for data visualization society, uh, we're, I'm part of the um, uh, operations uh, committee uh, that looks at the different uh, technology that data visualization society can leverage to make sure that the users are uh, having the best experience with the platform. So making sure that they have the proper support. For example, data visualization society has a lot of writers. Uh, they write for Medium uh, through uh, um, a series called The Nightingale. And um, these writers would need to, you know, uh, they get remunerated. And what is the, you know, choosing the best platform to make sure that uh, they get um, remunerated on time properly, uh, we have to have that. And, and also establishing the, you know, being a 501, uh, uh, um, 3C, uh, uh, entity, how do we position ourselves to make sure that um, we have the right resources to continuously gather more uh, participants and things like that. So it's one of those where I participate once a week with uh, the director of operations and I uh, give my time to support advice um, in, in terms of how do we get more people on board um, how do we come up with the best ideas to keep people entertained? Uh, what kind of uh, subscription method should we apply? Say, if you are a donor at a certain level, should we segment that, et cetera, et cetera? What is the overall strategy for uh, data visualization society? Um, then you asked me about Hackmaker too, right? Yeah, yeah. So Hackmaker is kind of like, you know, uh, being a mentor to a uh, group of uh, other mentors. So what I usually do, I, I, I'm usually a lead mentor. So I remove obstacles if I want to be very simple here. What I do is remove obstacles for other mentors. These mentors might have one or, more, or two teams that they're um, you know, uh, accompanying through the hackathon, uh, which might last say three days maybe. And um, sometimes if I want to get deep, deep dive into it, I can um, also take a look at how a team progresses through the final day of submission uh, of their projects. So projects can vary. Uh, it's certainly centered around some uh, artificial intelligence tools uh, or technologies uh, and techniques. 
Um, you have, you know, fraud detection, uh, cybersecurity, like the last one I participated in. And it depends. So again, for me, I'm on the business side. So on the technical side, I cannot give much uh, um, advice, but I, I can give some advice on, you know, the pitching side of things when they have the project prepared, um, how to pitch that project to make sure we understand that the focus remain around the main objective. Say if you have a, a fraud detection model, what are you trying to achieve? How do you pitch that idea? And how do you explain your uh, limitations? And how do you explain how you can mitigate those limitations? Those are the things that I kind of look for when I look at a presentation during a hackathon. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And I hope that is helpful to the audience as well, because being engaged into some kind of a volunteering is always an advantage for the students as well as the professionals. So hopefully, you know, uh, audience will join those initiatives as well and participate more. Moving towards our next section is about tips, advice, and you can support your answer with the books and courses as well. So any tips or advice would you like to give to the students or the professionals who wants to pursue their passion in this specific field or thinking about this as their long-term career option? Yeah, so, so passion, I don't want to take that word lightly, right? Passion doesn't come without purpose, I don't think. We can say, oh, pursue your passion and then uh, you feel like you don't have any purpose for that passion, but don't pursue it. You have to have purpose, right? Why do you want to pursue certain things? And, and what is your objective here? What are you trying to accomplish? So find that passion purpose. Uh, uh, then once you find that passion purpose, then, uh, you know, don't hesitate to ask for help. Uh, go out to find any sort of materials that will uh, solidify your um, I guess, will to go after that passion purpose. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with that said, there's a lot of people, you will find that by looking for help, by uh, digging, deep diving into it, you'll find that a lot of people might have the same passion purpose as you do. And some might be more ahead than you are, and you might be able to uh, learn from them. And um, naturally, I want to believe that us humans, we're more likely uh, to, uh, to help than not help others who ask for help. So, uh, especially on a platform like LinkedIn, you go there, you look for people who have uh, the same passion and purpose as you do, uh, they will most likely open the door for you to uh, help you learn along with them, alongside them. So, uh, make sure you, you keep an open mind like this and don't just choose a passion just for the heck of it. Uh, make sure you attach some purpose behind it too. So, Yes, yes. And this is really very wise advice for anybody to have. And as one more like, you know, uh, thing you mentioned while thinking about passion with the purpose, it's about approaching the people as well, because uh, somehow you get into that network where you are standing for the same kind of a values or the purpose for that passion. So thank you so much for sharing. And uh, as we are moving towards the end of the show, it is towards about the leadership. So the way you are leading your uh, passion or the area of interest, what is your leadership style? And uh, if any specific leader or the leader you always follow or the admire? That's a great question. So I, I can't tell you what my leadership style is because I never really thought about that. Uh, I guess um, for me, I would say my leadership style is... I don't know if that's a leadership style, but I like to dream big, right? I like to dream big and, and act on it. 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's more of a uh, on the in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to use that leadership skill that I have at work because I feel like maybe I can dream big because I'm under a safety net that's called employment. I'm trying to teach myself to be more dream big for myself, right? So uh, removing myself from that safety net and say, okay, what if I take a big chance that can affect my life? And what I talk about here is, okay, do I feel courageous enough to go into entrepreneurship, mm. right? And uh, accepting failure in the process, if failure comes, but not focusing on that, focusing on winning, of course. Uh, can I, can I, what can I learn that I do in the workplace that I can apply to my life personally? Uh, so if you call that a leadership skill, then I don't know. <laughs> and uh, um, also you, you had a second, second uh, portion to that uh, question too other than what my leadership skill is, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And you forgot, you did not tell that what, who, who you follow, like, you know. Who oh, yes. Leader and why. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, who do I follow? Uh, to tell you the truth, um, I have a good list of uh, mentors uh, that I uh, found inside of Amazon that I do follow their uh, track record uh, internally um, and uh, outside of work really on the personal level um, I can't I can't think of any like the list that I have is is, is cliche I guess right mm -hmm. so I can tell you I admire the work of a lot of the uh, you know great folks out there uh, who've done amazing things like, you know, Jeff Bezos uh, or um, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. You know, I, to me, this sounds cliche. What I've been really looking forward to is looking into the life and achievements of the underdogs as well uh, mm -hmm. to understand uh, how they got there and how they transferred from being the underdog to the big dogs, right? So if you think about, you know, something like, you know, reading about the story of how a company like um, uh, uh, Airbnb, for example, uh, came to part, how they started, what they do, uh, what pushed them to be better and to where they are today to, the, you know, just last year they performed, late last year they had an IPO and to take a look at their track record and what got them there is, is an amazing story for me and I like to get inspired by that. Or any uh, young entrepreneurs that uh, are self-made, uh, that came up with an idea they believe in and uh, really became fruitful in the end, I love to read those stories and I really look uh, to these guys to to make my life better and help make others' lives better in the in the process. Yeah, yeah, and that's true actually. So leader, uh, it can be any leader. It is not like you need any like a popular figure or the famous celebrity. My uh, point exactly. Yes, it is like everybody is the leader in their own way if they are doing well. So <laughs> that's completely uh, like you know valid. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that. So just to end this uh, show. I'm going to end it with your favorite quote that let curiosity be your fuel for discovery and growth. So that is Greg Kokio and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. As I always say, until we meet, 
happy leading happy leading let's live together stay safe bye for now thank you very much bye guys thank you